Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm glad you made the connection and are with us today. I'm Laurie Fitz, your host. The goal of our show is to explore a wide range of topics that challenge us to see ourselves, our community, and the world around us that get us thinking, imagining, talking about, inspired, challenged, and most of all, connected. Our topic today is empowerment. And we have Harvey Coleman, who is an author, speaker, and workshop facilitator. Harvey's joining us from Atlanta, but he was here during our absolute freezing cold last week. Uh, he had a chance to get to see Minnesota in January. He was presenting at Ecolab as part of their MLK Junior Leadership Summit. Welcome, Harvey, and thank you for joining me on Connections today. I'm looking forward to exploring the connections and stories of your life that led you to write Empowering Yourself, the organizational game revealed. Hey, Harvey. Hi, Lori. How are you? Good. I I appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. We had fun this last week, didn't we? Oh, yes, we did. Well, on this first segment, I'd love to have you share your personal story about your early years and how that impacted you developing your studies on the game. You grew up in the 40s and 50s in the Jim Crow era, and not everyone realizes that it's within our lifetime that the separations and the Jim Crow expectations were solidly in place. Can you share a little bit about that with us? Sure. I uh, well, I was born in '40, and uh, uh, that was uh, when growing up we had uh, colored night uh, was Thursday night at the skating rink. In the summer, uh, colored day at the community swimming pool was like just Friday. Had to sit in the in balconies uh, at the movies, and you would think that wow, but you know. The deep south, but this was uh, a small town right outside of Pittsburgh. So it, it was basically the the tone of of our entire nation. Yeah, but, I, um, I remember in the '60s when I lived in the D.C. area, uh, there were restaurants for where, and in the restaurant, the whites sat in one area and black sat in another. And I even remember playing on a playground and being pulled away from a water fountain by a stranger because I was drinking from the wrong fountain. Yeah, and, and and we think that's so long ago, but it was all over the country, and it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, it, it was in our lifetime. My, my uh, the, the recent movie, The Green Book, uh, came out, and I could remember we had The Green Book uh, in our car. Uh, my, my father, when driving, had to anticipate, well, 30 miles, there's a place we can stop, so... Uh, again, that was real, but and and uh, packing sure. packing lunches was important to do because you weren't sure where you could eat. Oh, absolutely! You had to you had to bring it with you. But uh, I did get, I did become active. I uh, I was arrested twice uh, at sit-ins. Um, I it, this this is kind of uh, amazing, at least for me. When I think back on it, I have I've had three crosses burned on the lawns of three different homes. Uh, the first one was, was was kind of interesting. It was a very powerful impact on my life. Uh, my father and mother moved to a white neighborhood in uh, 1946, and it was uh, two doors from a, a fairly large white Methodist church. And the first night, uh, uh, I walked to the window, and I saw this big cross burning on the lawn. And I got excited. I ran into the kitchen and told my mother and father that the church was welcoming us into the neighborhood. Wow. And, of course, uh, they they took a, a very different approach to it. My father was standing at the window, and my mother, usually a very calm uh, woman, uh, started screaming, that, get away from the window, they're going to kill you, Harry. And I didn't know what was going on, so I started to pull at my my father's legs and he uh, he looked down and and with the reflection of the of the light of the cross uh, on his body he told me Harvey don't you ever let anyone keep you from doing what you want to do in this life and and that was very supportive for me because and what a, what a I, powerful image and impact i mean first to have that excitement thinking hey i'm being welcomed to the neighborhood but then by the way your parents reacted realizing that 
that there was a shift here, that this was something to be feared, and yet your father giving you the encouragement that, no, persevere, be who you are, do what you want to, don't let anything stop you. That That's a powerful parental message. Yeah, that, that, that stuck with me my entire life. But it really reinforced and helped me uh, when I was... Uh, when I had children, I moved to, uh, in 1974, to a small uh, suburb of Princeton, New Jersey, and uh, there was another cross burned on my lawn. And this time, you know, of course, I was worried on behalf of my children who had to go to, to a new school the very next day. But two years later, I moved to Baltimore, and I had that, that third cross. But this time, they, they just did it on the grass. They didn't have a pole. And and by by that time, I was kind of disappointed that I didn't have the full work with the big with the big cross. You, you, know. you got jaded. It was like, wait a minute. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. I had bigger, bigger, bigger crosses to burn. <laughs> yeah, uh. but uh, I, I I was at uh, Dr. King's. Uh, uh, I've ha- I've had a dream speech. Uh, I I had the fortune of. Uh, uh, training Andy Young's uh, staff when he was mayor, but the, uh, the true honor that I still uh, really cherish, I I attended the first two meetings with Coretta King as she was uh, starting to plan the King Center. Um, I, I had a chance to uh, shake hands with Daddy King, Martin Luther King's father, and then Coretta, but I always regretted never having a chance to, to shake Martin Luther uh, King's hand. Uh, Something that uh, I just was—I I heard him speak a couple times in Atlanta, but usually he had such a huge crowd around him that I couldn't—I couldn't force my way in. But, Harvey, uh, I, Harvey I will, tell, tell us about your Freedom Rider experience too. I think that's a, a very powerful story. Yeah, I—I uh, uh, I remained active. Uh, usually, most of the the. Uh, Active players in in those days were college students, but I had remained active uh, after that. I was working for IBM at the time, and a friend of mine said, "There's a Freedom Bus leaving Philadelphia. Uh, I'm going to go down, and uh, I want you to come with me." And I said, "Okay," but my my uh, my daughter was about to be born. I didn't know exactly. Uh, the timing of it. I said, "Well, if if she if she hasn't uh, come yet, I I just uh, can't do it." And I said, "But if she does, I'll fly down and and, and meet you down there." That morning of the bus leaving, as she was born, and I was uh, uh, holding her, you know, in my arms beside the uh, the bed with where my wife was, and. And I was feeling very guilty. I said, oh, how can I leave? You know, I just can't leave. And she's just arrived. And, and my wife, uh, again, uh, an encouraging word, she said, uh, Harvey, stop moaning. You're not doing this for you. You're, and she looked at my daughter and says, you're doing it for her. Uh, would you get down there and, and do what you have to do? And so um, I did fly down to Memphis. I rented a car, and I drove through uh, uh uh, Mississippi, and I got very close to the county where the three students uh, had recently uh, been murdered. And all of a sudden, there was in a pitch dark. Uh, this light started flashing, and uh, they pulled me over. They had me uh, spread eagled on the front uh, of the car, and I heard one of the police officers. There were two of them. Uh, ask the other, "Well, what do you think we ought to do?" And it just flashed through my mind that, gee, at, at least whatever they do, at least I held my, my new daughter in my arms this morning. Uh, but fortunately, I was uh, working for IBM, and at those days, they, they made you travel in the IBM uniform, suit and pinstripes and white shirt. And I convinced them that I was not down for any kind of protest. I was down, you know, working. And they let me off with uh, a couple comments of you from now on. You do your work up north where you belong, wow. and I said thank you <laughs> and got out of there. But it, it was it, it it is amazing how how in my lifetime and you you know uh, that that 
those experiences happened, you would think, you know, it almost seems like ancient history now, but it wasn't really that long ago that those kinds of attitudes uh, were were very uh, uh, prevalent in this country. Well, I want to make sure that our audience knows about the book that, well, actually books that you've written. Um, You've written Empowering Yourself. The Organizational Game Revealed. You also wrote Rules of the Game for Life, College, and High School, and you've got a discussion guide that goes with that. And uh, books can be purchased by going to Amazon. Um, Great to have you take a look at that. In our our next segment, what we're going to be doing is doing another deeper dive about how you started in your career. Um, But before we move into that, one quick story I'd love to have you share is how you were a singer uh, before, before you jumped into your career. Tell us a little bit about your singing. Uh Yes. That's a, well, again, something that seems like ancient history, but in high school, uh, it was the era of the boys band, Frankie Lyman and the teenagers and, uh, they were very popular, and we, uh, in my freshman year in high school, we went into the boys' room, and we were singing a song, and, and we were kind of amazed that, hey, that sounded pretty good. So we formed a singing group, but uh, and we we got better. By the by the time uh, I was a senior, we were, uh, it was, in those days, it was called the Chitlin Circuit, uh, where the the artists, the black artists, could not uh, perform in white venues. Uh, but we got to the point where we, around the Pittsburgh area, we opened for Ray Charles, uh, James Brown, Little Anthony and the Imperials, uh, uh, Bobby Darren. But uh, we, we, uh, we, 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 it was quite an experience for for someone, you know, in in, in their high school days to be able. Uh, at the end of the show, we gathered around the piano and had jam sessions with James Brown and his band. And, wow. Uh, so it's, it's something that uh, will stay with me forever. Well, I can just imagine you doing that. But you broke up the team when you, you – you broke up the band when you went back to college, though, eh? Yeah, yeah. Education always, you know, just messes up everything. <laughs> well, in our I next- did. Well, in our next segment, we'll need to go to a break now and and have our wonderful sponsors and commercials um, support our show. But before we go, I want to just let folks know that in our next segment, we'll be looking at, you know, your Harvey's entry into mainstream America and how he got started in his career and what led him to think about the organizational game and how we can all learn from um, the organizational game reveal. So stay with us. We'll be right back. Promoting happiness through health and helping out. That's Cocoa Bee and Nut Grain-Free Granola. Cocoa Bee and Nut is a locally made gluten-free grain-free granola that anyone can incorporate into their day, be it breakfast, lunch, dinner, or a snack. Our hearty blend of nuts and seeds mixed with honey, coconut oil, and healthy spices will make your taste buds tap dance and your heart will be happy knowing you've helped someone out. Yes, Cocoa Bee and Nut donates 10% of all sales to charity. For more information or to buy, visit CocoaBeeAndNut.com. This is New Beginnings, hosted by award-winning broadcaster and speaker, Freddie Bell. Freddie, this generation of the baby boomers, people are living longer, so the baby boomers are taking care of elderly parents. Let's talk about your health, and specifically, let's talk about Medicare. Our show features the concerns of America's 78 million baby boomers in employment, finance, health and nutrition, and even entertainment. Join us for New Beginnings, Saturday mornings at 11, brought to you in part by Vision Loss Resources. It's winter, it's cold, and you probably don't want to be outside. So cozy up inside with a new book from Next Chapter Booksellers or get something to read on your next vacation. Next Chapter Booksellers is the largest independent locally owned bookstore in St. Paul with a full range of books and subjects. Stop in and the friendly staff will help you find the perfect book. Located on Grand and Snelling in St. Paul and at nextchapterbooksellers.com. Hi, this is Charlie. Dad, don't embarrass me by making me say this. What does a used iPhone go for today? Fine. My dad is the greatest fantasy football player of all time, Matt McNeil. I won our league this year! Ugh. When I'm getting together with my friends without my dad, we always go in my Sienna. Not only does it drive great in winter conditions, but it can easily fit all my friends with seating up to eight. My son's friend's parents request he drive because he has a Sienna. It tells you everything you need to know about their safety and reliability. See for yourself at Rudy Luther Toyota, 394 and 169 in Golden Valley. 
British are coming! The British are coming! The British are coming! Hey, you there! I'm Paul Revere! The British are coming! Where is everyone? Ben Franklin dispatched an evacuation warning on Facebook. Didn't you get it? Hi, I'm Chad Hobart with Social Media MN. If your marketing is behind the times, contact us today online at socialmediamn.com or at 763-244-4058. We can help your business message get dispatched and selected on social media and Google search. We offer uncomplicated, results-driven, and affordable internet marketing solutions for businesses of all sizes. SocialMediaMN.com or 763-244-4058. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show, where we talk about ideas that matter. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. Our topic today is on empowerment, and we have Harvey Coleman, who is an author, speaker, workshop facilitator. Uh, he was here last week at uh, Ecolab while... Uh, presenting as part of their MLK Junior Leadership Summit. He's got some great books, Empowering Yourself, The Organizational Game Revealed, Rules of the Game for Life, College, and High School, and Rules of the Game for High School, College, and Life Discussion Guide. And you can go to Amazon and look up Harvey Coleman and see his great books that are available. Welcome, Harvey. I'm so glad you're here today. Thank you. And in our last segment, if you missed it, we were talking about Harvey growing up in the days of Jim Crow and the challenges and how it's really not that long ago that we were living in such a separated country and um, the challenges that that Harvey faced. And in this segment, we're going to be looking at how you entered the 1964 era and right back then you, you entered into mainstream America. Tell me about that. Yeah, prior to 64, and people ask me all the time, how can an African-American be a person who to have figured out the system? And it's simply because it's almost like an aquarium. If you're in the aquarium, you're fighting for survival. You're in the day-to-day venture of just getting around inside that aquarium. But outside, you can see the dynamics of everyone and what's going on, and that really was my life. I I started out picking fruits and vegetables uh, in the field. I was I was a shoe shine boy. I was a caddy, a dishwasher. I used to go into big uh, commercial coal furnaces, industrial furnaces, and clean out ashes. Uh, but it was not until 1964 that uh, our system allowed African Americans. And, well, women, not even at that point. They, they were later on. But our system allowed uh, African Americans to become a part of this this thing that I call the game. Uh, I did so by uh, joining Xerox Corporation. I was the first black uh, salesperson that they hired nationally. Um, and I had absolutely no idea of how the system worked. And you can imagine I bumped into an awful lot of walls in those first three years trying to get a grasp as to my code of conduct that was that was proper. Uh, and basically living in, in two worlds, uh, the, the world I grew up in, the African-American community, uh, but also this new world of corporate America. I survived it, and I went over to IBM uh, where I stayed for 12 years. But by then, I was getting a little comfortable in the corporate world, and I decided I wanted to move up the organizational ladder as as quickly and as far as I could. And I did well. The first uh, the first six or seven years, I was getting promoted extremely uh, rapidly in positions. Some of them I only stayed for six months, but uh, I, I realized I must be on one of these fast-track programs I had been hearing about, and sort of settled back for the ride, and that's where I made my mistake, because I thought, now I know corporate America. But it was in my seventh year where I, I was kind of shocked uh, into reality. I, I was in a position at IBM that there were only 13 positions in the country, 
and I was one of about 13 divisional, uh, in those days they called it personnel managers, not HR managers. But uh, the first year in that job, I was in the middle of the pack at the end of the year. They promoted the first three people, and I thought that was fair because they had outperformed me and they deserved it. The second year, however, I, I emerged as the number one performer of the 13 of us, and 12 of them were all white males. I was the only person of color and no women, of course, not in those days, uh, that time period. But uh, assuming that when the next position was going to open up, I would I would get the job. I'm, I'm number one. But uh, they fooled me. They, they promoted the second and third individuals in the ranking. And confused, I went into my boss to find out what was going on, and he just you know, gave me the old be patient, you know, keep working hard, things will happen eventually. It, the same thing happened the next year. I, I was clearly the number one performer the third year, and they also then promoted two or three other white males around me. Uh, at that point, I got frustrated. I thought, of course, that being in the 70s, early 70s, it had to be because I was black. And out of frustration, I, I left them, and I went to a, a corporation. This, this, this might be interesting. Uh, I went to a corporation that two women, I had written the first black awareness program for IBM, but there were two women who wrote IBM's first women's awareness program. And it was so unique that everyone, other corporations, were calling up asking, you know, why are you doing this? And they said, well, this, this is a business. So they moved up to New York and started a consulting firm. But it was during the riots of the 70s, and they would go into a major corporation, and that corporation would say, you know, we're very interested in this new thing about training women, but, you know, blacks are burning down our cities here. We need some help with that population. So they took me on as a partner to open up their minority consulting division. And I worked for three years with uh, 32 women, and I was the only male in that company. But the uniqueness was that it was such a, a novel idea that 60 Minutes uh, gave our company a 20-minute 20, 20 segment because no one in the country could actually believe that a corporation would spend money training women to be managers because everyone knew women could never manage men. So everyone thought it was just a waste of, of money. And what year and, What year was that, Harvey? That was 1976. Uh, oh, my gosh. That just hurts my heart. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you, it, met it, some, you met some really interesting women, though, during that time, too. Tell us about the... Oh. Yeah, it was during the women's women's uh, uh, movement of the seventies, and and uh, working with uh, right in the heart of that movement, I, I had a chance to meet Betty Friedan, who started now uh, the 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 real I think recognized as probably the 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 originator of the, the women's movement. I I met Gloria Steinem and uh, Helen. Gurley Brown, who wrote uh, Sex and the Single Girl, started the the women's sexual revolution. And you were, so and, you were I, the, I had, and you were the only guy in this group, right? Oh, I was the only guy. <laughs> so how, I have a, how was I that? Have a theory. What was that like? <laughs> I have a theory that in in three years you can become, and this will fit into a, hopefully the conversation we're going to lead to uh, about the different cultures within our culture, but. I have a theory. You, in three years, you can become fluent or comfortable in any culture. I give the example that if you go to, to, to France and you don't know one word of French, you have to look up every word in a book. But if you stay there, within three years, you're thinking of concepts, and the French words are just there. And that's what really happened to me with uh, when I was with. So, the, so you were you the, were fluent. It, you were fluent in the women's culture. Yeah, well, I, I would go out every night, various women, and having drinks and listening to their stories 
about their relationships with their boyfriends and fiancés and their husbands. <laughs> and I really concluded after three years, men were dogs. <laughs> they, they were just awful. They were just awful people. And, 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 and as a matter of fact, when I left them, I did leave them after three years and I started my firm, uh, which was 40 years ago. But when I left them, it took me around six months to even integrate myself back in to my male friends. So, so it was I, a I re-entry. Were, you had a re-entry period there. <laughs> yes, like, yes. Who are but you? Who am I? Long. After after six months, I became one of the dogs. Now <laughs> I, I will I will attest that I do not think you're a dog, but I am glad that well, you are multicultural you. and can shift gears between <laughs> the women's culture and the men's culture. Yeah, uh, interesting. I I was a, a house husband for back in those days for two years when I left the military and. Uh, I remember timing my my first son's uh, lunchtime to make sure I saw search for the Mar General <laughs> Hospital, and, and in the so neighborhood you were, we you were hooked on the soap operas, Harvey. Oh my gosh! Yeah. We I go to the neighborhood parties, and you know the men would always get together talking about football and the women. I would always sneak away from the men's group, going over to say, "Hey, what's going on as the world turns?" Or General Hospital, what's happening? Yeah, oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah. That's great. But I mean. uh, but but I I think it 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 allowed me to understand that. Uh, Whenever, whenever I I was with that uh, that women's consulting firm, I had a chance to meet a lot of top executives, and and during our conversations, I was I was trying to find out why I hit the glass ceiling at IBM, and they would always tell me, Harvey, you've got to play the game, and of course, trying to find out what this game was all about, they really could not explain. They they always ended up with. You got to work hard. You got to be patient. You got to be. But you, you, know, you uh, sense you sense there was more to the game than working hard. Yeah, because after the after, if we were having dinner or something after the the uh, the second drink and they loosened up, they start to tell me stories about as an example. Well, you know, Charlie Smith and Charlie happened to be the chairman and they were president. Well, Charlie. Charlie Smith and I, I don't know if you know, we were college roommates or he, he belonged to, and they never connected that association with their rise in the organization. So, so, the, they, so the who you know was not part of their, you know, uh, belief system that that may have supported them getting their job. That's exactly right. They, they, they had worked hard and that was a legitimate feeling they should have had. And they, they just related that their advancement was because of their hard work and never connected their relationships with their advancement. And so I, I had learned at that point, I had learned enough that, to realize that IBM did not stop my career or slow it, slowed it down because I was, I was black. They did so because they're a pretty savvy company. They knew I wasn't ready for that next level. And if, if I, being honest and self-reflective, they were absolutely right. But the problem was no one told me that there was this whole arena of other rules that I had to not only learn but had to uh, perform by. And, 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 and Harvey, with that, I'm going to leave our audience... Thinking about that, what you've just said, thinking about the game and what, how you needed to read the culture and read the game and learn how to play the game, um, and the book that you wrote that, that explores the game. So we'll be right back. We've got uh, a few commercials and thank yous to our sponsors, but when you come back, we're going to learn about what Harvey calls the pie model, and I find it really interesting, and I think you will too. So stay with us. I'm Peter Rackliff from the Eastside Freedom Library, and I'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne Avenue. Brunson's Pub is a place where history and passion are a part of every detail, starting with the menu. The Payne Phelan neighborhood arose from Dakota people who lived here for hundreds of years, 
and pioneering immigrant communities, Irish, Swedes, German, and Italians, who made the East Side their home. More recently, waves of new residents from Asia, Latin America, and Africa continue the rich immigrant history and are revitalizing the community's cultural life and economy. Come experience Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM950 listener or a supporter of the Eastside Freedom Library. Be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com. When you need legal assistance, let the Minnesota Lawyer and Referral Information Service help you find the right attorney. It's a new and enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They have professional, experienced referral counselors who can connect you to vetted attorneys practicing in employment law, divorce, bankruptcy, DUI, and much more. Take the stress out of finding a lawyer. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer. At Better Futures Minnesota, we believe everyone deserves a fair shot. We believe in personal redemption and second chances and that those who are dedicated to change and hard work should have the opportunity to achieve success and make a positive impact in the community. The men we embrace and serve have made mistakes, but they aren't bad people. We work with men who take responsibility for their past and are committed to doing better, who work to create a better life for themselves, their family, and the community. Learn more at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com. Supporting the best local and independently owned restaurants in the Twin Cities has never been easier. You'll find an expansive list of local dining options at EatLocalMinnesota.com, from classic American comfort food to authentic flavors from around the world. Cafe Latte offers made-from-scratch soups, salads, sandwiches, and mouth-watering desserts. Stop in the wine bar and enjoy a unique pizza loaded with fresh vegetables and perfectly roasted meats. Over 30 wines by the glass, Cafe Latte highlights Washington State wines and is the perfect destination for date night or an evening with friends. 850 Grand Avenue, St. Paul. Victor's 1959 Cafe has been serving South Minneapolis traditional Cuban food for over 15 years. Victor's is open for breakfast and lunch daily and now accepts dinner reservations too. Stop in and try the Pollo Tropicale or the Sandwich Cubano, which was featured on Food Network. More at EatLocalMinnesota.com. Why must the world be so cold? They've gone against what was told. Thinking rape is cool? Think about it. They think it's not wrong. Violence against women? The rape, the abuse, the emotional, physical, they all hold the hate. Think about it. Is it right or wrong? What attracts you? I'm not saying no names, but you laugh. Talk about it like nothing is wrong. Think about it. They all hold the hate. Gotta stop the violence. Stop the hate. Think about it. Sponsored by the Minnesota Indian Women's Sexual Assault Coalition. Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. And today we are talking about empowerment, and we have a wonderful guest. We have Harvey Coleman, who is an author, a speaker, a workshop facilitator, owns his own company, and does these programs all over the country. And he's joining us from Atlanta. Uh, but last week he was here with us at Ecolab, where he was presenting during the MLK Junior Leadership Summit. Welcome, Harvey. Thank you so much for being part of Connections today. Oh, I'm delighted to be here. Thank uh, you. It's great. Now, you've written three books, Empowering Yourself, The Organizational Game Revealed, Rules of the Game for Life, College, and High School, and there's also a discussion guide on that. I just want to make sure our audience knows that you can go online and look up uh, on Amazon. Amazon, our, our great uh, supporter these days <laughs> of getting things to us quickly. Uh, you can go to Amazon and you can order uh, Harvey's book online, and uh, it's a great book. And it, it one of the things that strikes me is as I think about what you what you share, Harvey, and your thoughts on the game is a lot of folks don't know the game. They're told like you are, just work hard. And it seems to me you want to at least have everyone know the game. You want them to know the rules. And you don't really make a moral judgment one way or the other. And ultimately, it's everyone's choice as to whether or not they want to keep moving up in an organization. But you feel very strongly that everyone should know the rules. This is a game, and there are rules. Am yeah, I right absolutely. there? Yeah. Absolutely. The, 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 the thing, you, you, you only have a legitimate choice 
when you know the rules. Whenever you don't know the rules, you, you tend to become a victim of a system because you're waiting for someone to do it for you because you don't know the alternatives uh, and the options that are available to you. What I found out is that our system is held together, and you have to have a set of rules or else our society would be just anarchy and, and total chaos. But the rules are never or rarely written down. We have policies and practices in organizations. We have laws for for the uh, citizens to to adhere to. But for your personal career growth, the rules are usually unwritten. And wouldn't you say and, that? Wouldn't you say that in a lot of cultures, that's true. That you know, you, they're not written, and you only kind of find them out when you break the rule. <laughs> that's suddenly, exactly right. You suddenly yeah. go, "Oh, yeah. did I just do something?" Because it looks like I broke a norm or I broke a rule within this culture. And that can happen a lot, especially for people just starting out if they go into the corporate culture um, and not realize there are some things that they're not going to write out in any handbook, um, but that you should know so that you don't, you know, make break those rules and that you can be successful. Yeah. You know, one of the cardinal rules in, in any society, in every organization, who's ever at the top of any pyramid has the right to make the rules. Your parents make, have made the rules when you grew up in your household, teachers in a classroom, principals in a school, the Pope in the Catholic Church. So if you, if you want to know what the rules are, just look to the top of the pyramid. Uh, the rules that we we're playing by today are 805 years old. Uh, if you, you go back in history, that'll take you back to 1215 uh, uh, when England basically ran the world. The sun never sat on the British Empire. And, and later on, we were one of her colonies. But if you think about the reason we're speaking English right now is England says the world is going to speak English. Uh, interestingly, I think China, about eight years ago, made a decree that every Chinese child for the, from the third grade so the rest of their education must take a minimum of one English class every year. And China will soon be the largest English-speaking country in the world. But if you go beyond that, the social activities, because I, I believe in the game. The game is about people, and everything else is detail. And, and Harvey, came, while I've got you there, can you tell us what the P period, I period, E period, what that stands for? Your sure. PI model. The P stands for your product or your performance in an organization. And what I found, although it's absolutely essential to be one of the best, there's always somebody else that can fulfill your job or your product in 24 hours. So, you know, you have to be among the best. That's just understood. But it's only worth 10% of your advancement. The I stands for image. And, and this is, this is, uh, uh, very important because there's not just one level that we we play out our lives. I, I uh, and this is a science. It's called you know, sociology. But that science tells us there are seven levels in our system, and the only way that you can move from, like, assuming, as an example, level three is a working class level. The only way I can move to the level four is to take on the image of the people in level four, to I, dress it, like they do. It, you know, I often tell friends if they want to get into the next level of the organization, dress for the level that you want to be at. So if you want to be a director, dress like the director. If you want to be a vice president, take a look around, dress like the vice president. You know, start presenting your image that way. So I, I'm in great agreement with that. Yeah, and and I think, you know, if we push that envelope, it, it, it goes a lot deeper. Not only the dress, because that's the instant recognition that you have made the decision to want to be in that next level. But now you have to go about learning the language that those, that next level, what they, uh, what they do, how the activities. For instance, in level three, you might be in a bowling league. And, and be very comfortable. But in level four, bowling starts to fade. In level five, 
they rarely go bowling unless they take their children maybe once or twice to introduce that activity. But they're now playing golf and tennis and 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 doing things that they used to do, but they no longer do. And so, and, and again, until, I, wa- I want to just insert here that you're not making a moral judgment that bowling's worse or golfing is better. You know, if it, uh, it's just it is more of understanding that. At each level, as you go higher in the uh, corporate, uh, there are different uh, different activities that seem to become more of a, a central focus that, that you share. Sure. Well, going with the principle that rules are made at the top, uh, anywhere in the world, if you go to any country, you're going to play golf. Golf stems back to St. Andrews 600 years ago, England. You're going to play tennis. Uh, the Australian Open now, every country in the world is represented at the Australian Open because Wimbledon 400 years ago. Uh, sailing and, and yachting because England uh, is an island and, and anything on the horse, polo, fox hunting, uh, they call it the sport of kings. In our country, we call it the horsey set. But those are the activities that stem from the top. And, the and, and, and we're coming close to the end of this segment. I just want to make sure we get the E as well. What does the E stand for? Oh, the E is exposure, because if I now have developed myself uh, to have a comfort zone of what they're doing at level four, I now must be in a position where a level four person can see me, exposure, and only then can they feel comfortable to pull me up there. They know that I won't be a Jeb Clampett and call the, the swimming pool the cement pond. I won't be serving possum for dinner because I've learned the, the language of, of that next level. At that point, they are comfortable to move me to that position. And, and in that, exposure, do you, you need to have a – more often than not, you do need to have a sponsor that help, helps groom you to, to have that exposure and to no, you, be able to support you in that. Right. I, I, I would go even stronger. You must have a sponsor. The mm-hmm. only you can't buy your way up to that next level. You can't bribe your way. The only way you can get there is to uh, attach yourself to a sponsor, and a sponsor then will move you there. Once you're sponsored, it's the obligation of the sponsor to give you whatever money it takes now to live at that next higher level. And, Har- and Harvey, we're, we're at the end of this segment, so we're okay. going to continue to talk about pie and thoughts for um, folks to think about and as well as encourage them to get your book. Uh, terrific book that you can get on Amazon. And again, it's Empowering Yourself, The Organizational Game Revealed. And we'll be right back. Stay with us. Promoting happiness through health and helping out. That's Cocoa Bee and Nut Grain-Free Granola. Cocoa Bee and Nut is a locally made gluten-free grain-free granola that anyone can incorporate into their day, be it breakfast, lunch, dinner, or a snack. Our hearty blend of nuts and seeds mixed with honey, coconut oil, and healthy spices will make your taste buds tap dance and your heart will be happy knowing you've helped someone out. Yes, Cocoa Bee and Nut donates 10% of all sales to charity. For more information or to buy, visit CocoaBeeandNut.com. I'm Nick Slavic, proprietor of the Nick Slavic Painting and Restoration Company. I've been a craftsman for 25 years. You'll not find someone who loves their job more than me. The process of painting your home could not be easier. Go to nickslavic.com, click on the button, paint my walls, or paint my cabinets. I'll personally be in contact with you to get an estimate, either in-home or a free virtual estimate. We move furniture, vacuum, sweep, dust, and put your home back the way we found it. We're not like other contractors. I'm Peter Rackler from the Eastside Freedom Library, and I'd like to tell you about an historic place on Payne Avenue, Brunson's Pub. Experience history and passion through the delicious menu, reflecting the Eastside's diversity. The choices are limitless. Salads, sandwiches, burgers, and shareable plates. Visit Brunson's Pub at 956 Payne Avenue and grab a discounted gift card when you mention that you're an AM 950 listener or a supporter of the Eastside Freedom Library. Be sure to check out Brunson'sPub.com. This is Chad, owner of AM950. I've been telling you about my friends at Snap Construction who are arguably the most well-reviewed exterior construction company in the metro. Don't just take my word for it. Take a look at all their reviews online. 
Winter is the most cost-effective time of the year to complete your construction project. A majority of Minnesotans choose to have their work completed on their home in the summer when they should be enjoying the weather. As a result, the demand for labor in the summer is much higher. The most cost-effective way to improve or restore your home is in the winter due to the lower demand. Right now, Snap Construction is offering an additional 30% off of labor to the AM950 listeners on your next construction project between now and the end of February. Call 612-333-SNAP and mention AM950 for an additional 30% off. As always, Snap Construction stands by their work with a lifetime craftsmanship warranty. Don't wait to get a free estimate by calling 612-333-SNAP or find them online at snapconstruction.com. Financing options available. To celebrate AM 950 being on air for 15 years, our Blue State Ball is going to be less formal and more of a fun bash with beer. It takes place Sunday, February 23rd at Bauhaus Brew Labs with our headliner, Tom Hartman. VIP is at noon with doors for general admission open at 1. All tickets include a signed copy of Tom Hartman's newest book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting. That's the less formal and even more fun Blue State Ball on Sunday, February 23rd at Bauhaus Brew Labs in Minneapolis. The ball will sell out, so order your tickets now at am950radio.com. Welcome back to Connections Radio Show. I'm Lori Fitz, your host. Today we've been talking about empowerment, and we've had a great host uh, sharing with us about his ideas on that. And that's Harvey Coleman. He is an author, a speaker, a workshop facilitator, owns his company, speaks all over the country. He was with us here in Minnesota this last week as uh, part of the MLK Junior Leadership Summit at Ecolab. So, Harvey, we've had quite the the chance to talk today and hearing a little bit about your personal story, as well as how you developed your pie theory of looking at product image and exposure and i'd love to have you share what you think the percentages of the importance of product image product being what we work and what we do you know image is how we or look exposure yeah okay or performance there we go so t- tell me about that what what do you think the percentage breakdown is of importance according to your model well in if someone is if we take a look at a person's career in an organization uh, performance is it's so, it's so important to the bottom line of that organization, but everyone is replaceable. You know, every time you, you leave or every time you get promoted, they they instantly have talent to come in to, you know, fill the, the void. And so that's only worth 10%. Uh, the image that you create uh, for yourself, it's like Shakespeare said, the world is a stage, and I discovered the world is seven stages, and each stage has different costumes and, and, and lines, and that's worth 30%. The exposure, because the game is about people, you can't get promoted, you can't get a raise, you can't get hired without convincing at least one person, but you have to have that exposure, and that's worth 60%. So upward mobility really is 90% image and exposure and only 10%. But I think the, what, what, what happens and why the frustration occurs in a person's career is they think that if I become the best worker, this organization owes me a promotion. But the reward for performance is a paycheck. After two weeks, you get a paycheck. They have just paid you for everything you have done in that prior two weeks. And the moment you cash your paycheck, the organization owes that individual absolutely nothing. They've paid them. If you now want that that job at the next level, you have to break the contract of your current performance and now enter into a brand new one to prove that you have prepared yourself to be able to function with the people, your peers at that next higher level, your customer at that next higher level, and until you do, you cannot be a candidate for for promotion. And you may uh, not, and, and people may think that, well, you know, I do this widget really well, so why aren't I, you know, moving on to the next? But just because you're doing the widget well, they may want you doing that widget well uh, instead of delegating the work 
to others and managing folks that do the widget well. I mean, I think it does take a different mindset to move from being a, a producer, being someone that loves what they do, to the next level of inspiring that in others so that you have people that you can support to do the work that you had done. But you may not be doing widget making at the next level. You'll be delegating yeah. and managing that. That's right. You you will never tighten another widget in your life. And so the mere fact you're a good, the best widget tightener doesn't really mean anything at the next higher level. Uh, and so it, it, it's literally moving your life, and that's the difficulty of this game because every time you learn a different language and your family and your friends are not traveling that journey with you, there becomes a separation and letting go of 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 the, the current world that you're living is is a very emotional and, and stressful uh, scenario that you must work through. And Harvey, now, Harvey, you can, do, do you think that you can straddle both though? Be able to to live in both multicultural worlds? To I mean, I'm a big supporter of the idea of multicultural that you can shift gears and be comfortable. And just like we were saying before, how you could shift gears between the women's culture and the men's culture. Do you think that people can like choose and go? Okay, I understand this culture, so I can shift into this behavior, and I understand this culture, and I can shift into that behavior. Sure. I, I think the ultimate is, Roger Kipling said, if you can walk with kings nor lose your common touch, if you can shift back and forth among the seven levels and be comfortable uh, uh, interfacing with people at every level, I think you've mastered the game. But But the problem is, the higher you go in the pyramid, the more competitive it is. It's like moving from high school basketball to college to the NBA. The, the more you have to concentrate to, to be a, a competitor, and you just don't have time to, to go back. So and, you, and, you go back for the family reunion, and, but after that, you've got to go back to the world that you're playing in. And, Harvey, we've got one minute left. I want to make sure that the audience knows that uh, they can get your book by going on Amazon. Um, And, again, the book is Empowering Yourself. The organizational game revealed fascinating look at ways that rules that are unwritten that can help you with your career and help you look at how do you move from the one level to the next. And, Harvey, do you have a a final thought for us on, on your ideas on empowerment? Yeah, I just one quick one as it relates to organizations that we are we are emerging with uh, a changing workforce of immigrants, people of color, women, and and we now know statistically uh, in 1950. We're, we're about 15 seconds, Harvey. <laughs> okay, we've got we've got to we've got to train the emerging workforce on the rules, or else we will not have the future leaders we need to compete in the global economy. Thank you, Harvey. Great note to end on. And thank you for listening here on Connections Radio Show, AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota.